Hello, welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're on the worship team today. Yeah. Good job. You Thanks. can sing. Thanks. <laughs> you ought to try it. Hopefully. <laughs> no, you're fantastic. You do a lot of stuff around here. You're on the worship team. Uh, you work with kids. You have in the past also worked uh, in our Go Beyond ministry as well and justice ministries. So we're just happy to have you on the team. Thanks. And, you know, you kind of grew up around here as well. I so did. as we talk about Forever Young, we have two more weeks left in this series. Uh, tell us kind of what your vision is for a church that is forever young and why that's so important. Yeah, so I think like what you've been touching on a lot is that mindset, that forever young mindset. And I think that um, keeping that forever young mindset um, has a lot to do with our proximity to the young. So the more that we are in proximity with that next generation, um, I think that that helps keep us young. Yeah. And so um, I've been volunteering in youth group forever. You made me start volunteering when I was in youth still. <laughs> like I had to stack my own chairs, whatever. Um, but, and so like I did just had... Good? Did you good? <laughs> I did. I had that sense of leadership early on, like even with that, you know, and like led small groups, you know, at the, I, I led Katie Smith's small group. Did you really? Back, yeah. Oh, I was cool. her small group leader. I don't nice. want to brag, but... Generation anyway, by generation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just a lot of fun stuff. But, and then, you know, my husband and I had kids. And so we, we just kind of, we've been leading in youth as youth leaders. We met in youth group and then we had kids and we started helping out in youth group when they were that age, you know, and we kind of got back in youth group. So probably about overall like 15 years. And then as our kids kind of grew older, we kind of lost um, touch with the next generation. We stopped we stopped like volunteering as much. And just like, I had this mindset. I don't know if you had this mindset. I, I think I know where you're, you? you're going. Okay. Um, you could read my mindset. I think. I so can. I had this mindset of like, you have to graduate out of youth group. Right. Like it's time to grow up, you know, to be respected in the church. There's other, you know, lead adults, try leading adults, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I didn't really fit in all the time <laughs> with the adults, but it's fine. Um, that's why I hung out so long in youth group because they accept me for who I am. But so then I started, I started, I was like, okay, it's time, you know, our kids aren't that age anymore. And, um, you know, I, there's other things like amazing opportunities that I had to do in the church that I loved. But I started to realize that like just that year and a half that I was out of youth group had me so out of touch with the next generation. Right. And I really just started, that's when I started to just be like, oh, what are they, you know, their mindset? What are they, you know, the way they think about this is weird. And look at those jeans, like who wears that? You know, now I'm, now I'm wearing those jeans. <laughs> I make fun of them. But you know, like you just get more, the more disconnected you get to them, the more right. judgy almost that you get. So I think that, sure. that, that forever young mindset just requires proximity to the next generation. And, and that proximity, as you mentioned, is really natural to get separated from the younger generations. It's like you know, the, the cycle of life, right? As we're young, we're in the, in the scene, we graduate high school, go off to college, have a good time. Then perhaps we get married and we're looking for a career and we start the adulting thing, right? And that's a separation from young people. Then we have kids. Now we're back in with young people, with their, our kids, their friends, their friends' parents. And so we're in that youth world with sports and activities and all that and parties. And then when they're they get older, which is where you and I both are at in life, is that there's a natural tendency to say, well, I'm kind of done with young people. I raised the kids. Now I'm going to wait around and be a grandpa or grandma. And there's now a multi-generational distance. And um, so I could definitely relate with you on that. The other thing that we may begin to think when we get a little older and more distant is not only do I not understand them when we get a little judgy, but they wouldn't even want me in their life. Right. Because I'm now on the old side. You sound like a big grouchy. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Watch your mouth. Yeah. Uh, But you're exactly right. And my wife and I were at a a college football game uh, a couple weeks ago, and we started just whispering to each other about all the college students that were walking by. 
We're like, oh yeah, there's the same dress. They, that must be the uniform. Every college girl wore the exact same thing. Same. We were harassing them. And then we looked at each other and thought, we are so old. We're the old people judging know, the dress of the I young know. people. So I, I was like, grandma stop gave me it. Such no. such a hard time over my Ugg boots. She's like, does that stand for ugly? And I was like, whatever, grandma, you're so, you're so out of touch. And now I'm like, what are those things they're wearing? Yeah. But it's work, right? Yeah. That's the point. It's yeah. work to stay close, to not lose that proximity. And it's not like all of us have to uh, work in youth group or children's, although I am That's so... incorrect. <laughs> although I am so impressed with how many people volunteer in children's and youth. And when I watch them, they are laughing, they are smiling, they're playing with the kids. Because to me, a forever young church is connecting by proximity to the generations, but also learning from each other as well. So every adult who works in youth is pouring into the next generation, but they're also being taught by the next generation as well. And that's a big deal. Yeah, and I think if you, if you have that mindset of understanding that you can be taught by them, because I think too, part of you know, that year and a half, I would say-ish that I was away, you kind of start to feel like, oh, well, I have something to tell them. I have something to teach them. I have the right ways. I have, you know, and then even more so, that's when they literally are not going to listen to you. And so um, just in, you know, it was actually Brayden who invited me to kind of come back in and start teaching. And I was afraid. I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know how to talk to this next group of, you know, middle schoolers or whatever. And I just had a blast, like just being together in a room playing games. And they're so, they're such incredible human beings that just are, they have their own way of seeing the world. They have their own sense of style. They have their own culture almost. And so it's like when we, it's almost like any other culture. If you're not if partaking, if you're not getting close to it, you just think it's weird and odd right. and smells bad, you know? <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> I'm just talking about them. Um, but, they, but they're genuine human beings who really do just teach you too. And I just remember a couple times them mirroring back and them taking the lead when I was sounding like grouchy about whatever it was, if it was like theology or whatever, just a thought on the life and the world. And I just remember like my kids sometimes just being like, well, I mean, that's okay. That's not how I see it. Like, I see it this way. And just me just feeling, oh, I sounded like a jerk, right. you know? Like, and just listening. I think they're much more compassionate, inclusive, and less judgy, I think, than... And, and we need that. I mean, if there's yes. any time that we need the, the youthful, um, visionary, optimism, inclusion, that kind, those, that, those kinds of values, we need that right now because the adults are getting into camps, yeah. Right, political camps, religious camps, and they're firing away at each other. And, and the cool thing about our young people, not just here at church, but at school, is you see this natural diversity, yes. and they're clustering. It used to be back in my day, you know, here's the old guy. Back in my day, we had clusters of Sameness. white people, yeah. Hispanics, black people, and then by, by your hobbies, by your sports. Christian by, club. Christ, yeah, Christian club over here in the corner. They are so naturally diverse and yeah. comfortable with each yeah. other right now. And not only that, and this is the thing I really give you tons of props for, and again, school side as well, is they are championing each other. Yes. So if one person or group is starting to feel a little put on the edge, they will, they will step up. Yeah. Not everybody, right? But as a group, as a, as a young culture, they will step up and say, we can't allow that to happen. Right. Adults, you've got to get your act together. That's right. There's three kinds of uh, influence that we talk about around here. One is a voice, is, is do we give the next generation a voice? And that takes some work to listen to them and then bring their ideas and perspectives to the table, the leadership table, and that's fine. The next level, which is difficult, is to give them a seat at that table, right. to give them a seat at the leadership table. 
And that takes real work because, yeah. you know, here's all the adults doing adulting things. And then, you know, do you want young people there? The answer should be yes, but it's a lot of work to get there. The third level of influence is you slide the keys across the table and say you lead. Yeah. And that's even more scary. So there's a movement out there called, uh, um, I keep forgetting it. It's called uh, Growing Young. Uh, uh, and there's a whole kind of curriculum about training adults how to slide the keys of authority and leadership over to kids. I love that. Pretty cool. Giving over the keys, especially when it's something that you care about, is extremely scary. Like, I remember the first time I let my boys in the kitchen, like, to do the dishes. And, like, I don't know about y'all, but I had, you know, I lost at least a crock pot and a blender and, you know, some other things. <laughs> but really, truly, like, at, at church and in the work of, you know, we're doing the work of God. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so sometimes it feels like, no, this is so important. Like, I can't give you these keys. Or this is something... Somebody else handed me the keys to, but I forgot about that part. Right. And it's just become all about, it's my mission. It's my thing. It's my baby. And it started from like a really good place, but it's so hard to then hand it over. And then the trick too is to not then control them and to allow right. them to yeah. do it their way, their new way. And I think when we look back through church history, the church is continually evolving, continually moving forward, continually. And I think that the next generation, they're going to do it different than us. And I think it's a beautiful thing when we can kind of co-pilot for a little while yeah. and kind of give them the keys, but we sit there in the, in the co-pilot seat and we just kind of walk with them through that. Um, I remember the first time that I did that actually was here. I started uh, the Walk for Freedom locally in our valley uh, six years ago. I started, when I was in my youth work, I started um, hearing about human trafficking and that the average age of a victim is 12. And so I thought, those are my kids. Those are my people, you know, working in youth. I can't ignore this side of you know, what's happening. And so I started to study and learn more and I got connected with A21. They're an amazing organization. I thought, this is one thing I can do. And so we organized this walk and, you know, pretty quickly about another year or two, I started having more responsibility in the church. We started doing, like you were talking about, go beyond, taking kids to Peru to work on, in other justice matters. Um, and I just thought either this walk is going to go down and we're not going to do it anymore, or it's just going to be done really bad. And just like a second, you know, I didn't have time. And so I handed it over to um, a gal, Jenny Sanchez. She, at the time, I think she was like 20, 21, and she was terrified. But I knew that she had a heart for it. She had a passion. She had all the knowledge. You know, she had been at the other walk. And I just handed her the keys to it. And I just said, you know, I'll be here, but you're, you're taking this on. And the scary thing was that, was that I was announcing it, you know, throughout all the services on a Sunday to thousands of people, like, come on out, it's going to be amazing. And I'm still kind of new here, you know? So, like, I'm just like, it's going to be amazing. In the back of my head, I'm like, I don't know if it's going to. Like, because I don't know. We're going to see together, you know? And I got there, and, and I, but, but the thing is, I was willing to totally risk failure. Yeah. I, I kind of said, okay, if this fails, it's fine. We're going to pick ourselves up, and we're going to learn from it. And she did amazing. She blew me out of the water. It was the best walk we ever had. And they, they are so connected to like what you had mentioned when the service to their own peers, to their own people, to their own community that we've had so many people from our community. It wasn't even like a rancho full thing. It was like all other churches, other community members, their age group and just showed up and we raised like, you know, $10,000, I think. And there was just like a ton of people walking. So that was just like one of those things that I remember of like taking the chance, yeah. you know, being scared 
and that allowing that to happen because otherwise right now we wouldn't be walking on Saturday. Well, that's wonderful to celebrate. That story and many other stories of young people given the keys, you take a little risk, but I love what you said is we're here for you because sometimes there's a stumbling, whether you're young or old, sometimes totally. you make mistakes. Yeah. And we're there in grace to, to pick you up, you know, dust you off, lift you up and do it again. Yeah. And uh, you know, all in the context of grace, not hyper pressure, but the context of grace. Let's do something fun together. Let's do something meaningful together and we're here for each other. Right, and take out all cool. that pressure of it having to be perfect. Like, we're exactly. not perfect. We'll talk about that today. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. Thanks, Good Scott. to see you, as always. So appreciate it for Megan and the crew here. Um, let's see. I need a table from... Some, hey, Josh, you know what? You did such a good job bringing up this chair. Would you mind bringing up that table? You're the best, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Josh Idema, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> He's never going to help again now. All right. Let's talk about Timothy. We're going to call him Tim. Timothy's in the Bible. Two books of the Bible called Timothy, right? And uh, he was mentored by the Apostle Paul. You've heard of Paul. If you've been in church for a while, you have heard about Paul and Timothy. Paul was this apostle, this big-time apostle. He was the one who Jesus Christ himself, the resurrected Jesus, visited Paul in a vision, knocked him off his horse, blinded him by his Holy Spirit, trained him for three years to be the apostle, the church planters to the Gentiles, to anybody who was not a Jew throughout the Roman Empire. That was Paul. Big, big deal. Paul understood that going forward, it couldn't be all about him. He was getting older over time. It happens, right? And he realized that, that if these churches that he had planted, about a dozen churches that he planted throughout the Roman Empire, he realized that if he didn't pass that baton on to the next generation, they were all going to die. If it all depended on him, one person, it was going to die. And as we talked about in God's Word, there's this constant sense that there has to be one generation passing on the goodness of God and the grace of God and the message and the mission of Jesus on to the next generation. And so here's Timothy. Timothy was somewhere around 18, 19 years old, the oldest maybe 20, 21, when he started partnering with the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul was going all throughout the Roman Empire, modern-day Turkey and Greece, going all throughout the Roman Empire, planting these churches. And this was tough stuff, very difficult stuff, because he's bringing this brand-new message of Jesus the Savior, the Son of God, the fullness of divinity, bringing the grace of God, the grace of God by his life, his death and resurrection to forgive sin and bring all people, all people through this wide open door of grace. So he's going into these cities and these cities have their, their Jewish temples and they weren't so thrilled about it. And the cities had these pagan temples and they weren't so thrilled about it. But the apostle Paul and Timothy partnered together along with a multi-generational team to plant churches, care for churches, mentor churches in good times, and in bad. And here's the relationship between Paul and Timothy in 1 Timothy 1-2. Timothy, my true son in the faith. Timothy, my true son in the faith. They had this father-son kind of a bond together. They, have been, they spent years together. They did hard things together. The apostle Paul was going through the very difficult task of training up this young man, and this young man was going and doing things, and he was, he was taking some risks and he was doing some very difficult things, and Paul's right there by his side. But Paul knew it wasn't just about him, that Timothy came from a family. And that family also understood the value of being forever young. That family understood that we've got to take care of the young people. We've got to mentor and train the young people. We can't just focus on, on those who are older or mature and doing the adult world. We've got to put our effort, our time, our attention into the kids. 
So in 2 Timothy 1.5, the apostle Paul says, Timothy, I know you come from a great family as well. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. How do young people thrive? How are young people made ready for life? How are our young people prepared to do everything that God has envisioned them to do? It's by their family and by their mentors. Starts in the home. So through this Forever Young series, let everything we're talking about be practiced first in your home. Prioritize your kids, prioritize your grandkids with your time, with your energy, with your attention, with your play. Just have good times with these kids. Find opportunities, not as their lecturer, but find opportunities to have natural uh, connections with them and natural conversations with them about how the world is and how the world can change and maybe how God can use them to change it. It's family and it's mentors. And those mentors don't have to be in church. They can be coaches, they can be teachers. There's all kinds of ways a community can pour into the next generation. But today we're gonna talk about how church specifically can do that. How church specifically can do that. And we're going to see that through the example of Paul's relationship with Timothy. Now, I want to be clear. Timothy was a, a normal young man. He was a normal young man. He wasn't this, this superhuman person. He was a normal kid with normal challenges in life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, it appears as though he struggled with anxieties or insecurities at the least. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. When Timothy comes to you, church, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Kind of read between the lines there. Put him at ease. In other words, he's nervous. Here's this young kid, Timothy. He's being sent to this church to build into a church that he helped to plant as a protege. Now he's going in the number one chair and he's nervous. So you could say at the very least, he had the anxiety of the pressure of the moment, but there might be something underneath that. Maybe he did struggle with anxieties the way many of us struggle with anxieties. And the Apostle Paul was there for him. The Apostle Paul so cared for Timothy that he made sure in advance that the, the anxious place he was going was ready to care for him. It's pretty cool. Timothy also suffered from a chronic illness. In 1 Timothy 5.23, it says, uh, no longer drink only water. The Apostle Paul is looking after his health. Don't just drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Um, a, a verse used often by wine drinkers. It's right here. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So he's a sick young man. We can't diagnose him 2,000 years later, but maybe something like a Crohn's disease, this gastrointestinal stuff. He's got stomach problems, plus a lot of other ailments. I mean, who knows exactly what he was dealing with? But here's a kid who suffered with some anxieties. Here's a kid who suffered some chronic illness. And I mean, man, when it comes to chronic illness, we've got doctors and meds and facilities and everything around us to sort of get us comfortable. 2,000 years ago, wandering around ancient, you know, uh, near Asia, um, very difficult, very difficult for this young man who had chronic illness. Add to that, he's being persecuted. He's not going into friendly territory. He's not traveling around Asia Minor to visit friends and family. He's going into, into cities that are hostile to the message. This message of Jesus is brand new. And so for those who are hyper-religious, thinking that it's the religious commands that get you favor with God and follow our religious commands, these guys are coming in, they're going, no, it's by grace alone. You don't have to do anything. It's by God's grace. He just gives it to you. And if you believe in God's grace, you are going to be free and you are going to thrive and you are going to be unencumbered by religious pressure. Isn't that great? 
And all the religious people are going, that's not great. You need to leave my city, right? And so he's being persecuted. 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, Timothy, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We know according to the book of Hebrews, Timothy went to jail for his ministry. Church mythology says that Timothy uh, may have been uh, martyred when he was 80 years old. Uh, he was preaching the gospel in the streets and this, this crowd, kind of a rioting crowd of, of pagan idol worshipers um, attacked him and killed him in the streets. Uh, that's church. Mythology may or may not be true. But regardless, we know by God's word, he was put in prison and he was part of the team that went city to city that was often driven out of cities and beaten by the authorities. This is Timothy. Strong young man with problems. But he had mentors and he had a family to see to it, see to it that he led well through those problems. To put it this way, Paul made it a life's goal to mentor, partner with, and entrust the future to Timothy. Pretty cool story. Now, it is absolutely true that in the Christian faith, in any faith system, it's very difficult for the adults in a faith system to give the keys of leadership over to young people. Church tends to be pretty rigid. Uh, church life, religious life of any denomination, of any religion, tends to favor the older. You know, the ones who are the sages, the elders, right? We use those kinds of terms to sort of venerate those who are older and have gone beyond us. And, and so church and religious culture tends to want to meet the needs of those who are older. That's completely understandable. But what the Apostle Paul did is said, we have to resist that temptation to satisfy and pacify and make comfortable the older because we have a next generation that has to be handed this message, this gospel, has to be handed the mission of bringing God's grace to the end of the earth through Jesus Christ, to love everyone everywhere. The young people have got to embrace this. So here's what Paul says. He says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. What does that mean? People were looking down on him because he was young, right? It was happening. It just happens. If a young leader tries to step up and at least be a part of the table, have a voice at the table, there's going to be a whole lot of old people just kind of giving him the side eye. They might be polite, but they might give him the side eye. They might kind of shove her to the side. They might not give you know, her the voice that she's kind of wanting. God's working in her life. God's working in his life. And they want to be a part of the action, right? They want to be a part of the decision-making, part of the conversation. But so often, whether it's church or business or any other you know, community activities, we kind of push kids to the side. There was a meeting this last week and that was prioritizing, uh, let's be vague, prioritizing things, prioritizing life. It was a public meeting and, and the youth initiatives were last. It just happens. It happens in, in, in government. It happens in churches. It happens in business. We just kind of push kids to the side. It happened to Jesus, right? The disciples were keeping the kids away from Jesus. This was our focus last week. And Jesus says, what are you doing? He rebuked the adults for keeping the kids away from Jesus. He says, let them come. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That youthful energy, that youthful vision, that optimistic look to the future, that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Let the kids come. Make them the priority. And here's what I love about this church. 
for the 52-year history of this church, this church has always valued young people. Not just the young people that we have in kids' ministry over there or youth ministry over there, but valuing them enough, like Megan did, to get them to the table, get them a voice at the table, get them a seat at the table, then slide the keys across the table and say, now it's yours, go for it. That was my story. When I was 17 years old, just about to graduate high school, this church gave me the middle school program. I mean, that's, they, I don't think they knew I was 17. I think that at least they thought I was an adult, but they were wrong. Uh, I was 17. Uh, when I was 18, I preached my first sermon here at Rancho. Definitely not on Sunday morning. <laughs> Too much damage could be done. The Sunday night service, and i um, 18 years old, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I had my own insecurities. Insecure person, I stuttered, and so I, here's a stuttering, insecure teenager being given a, a sermon on Sundays. And um, have you heard of knees knocking? I thought that was a cartoon thing until I was up there on a Sunday and my knees were literally knocking. I'm thinking, this can't be real. I mean, it's the only time it's ever happened in my life. I thought I was going to throw up. I said a bunch of words. I said everything I knew about anything. Took eight minutes and I was done. (laughs) Polite smattering of golf claps. But I mean, it was high pressure. And there must have been, I don't know, like tens of people there. It was... In my head, it was maybe 100. There was probably 25, half of them my family, but just throw the kid up there, right? When I was 22, I uh, was ordained as a youth pastor here. I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, We were part of the Reformed Church in America, the oldest denomination in the United States of America, the highest ordination standards of any denomination in America. I wasn't even done with undergraduate yet. I certainly didn't go to seminary. I had not gone through the four-year ordination process but they said, you know what, we, some, we see something in you, we're just going to do it. <laughs> we're not allowed to, but here you go. 27 years old, I was on our founding pastor's executive team. At 29 years old, I was given the Saturday evening service. That was a big discussion. Do we give it to our founding pastor, Steve, Stephen, the Dr. Reverend Stephen P. Strickmans, or do we give it to Scott, <laughs> the snot-nosed youth pastor? They gave it to me. When I was 32 years old, I was told I, w- I would succeed our founding pastor. At 33, I was co-preaching with Pastor Steve. At 34, I was given this baton, this baton, on the stage at the campus right down the road here. And on the baton, our founding pastor had inscribed this phrase at the bottom, continue the race, continue the race. And that is right out of the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, my work is done but you continue the race. It's right out of 2 Timothy 4, 7. The apostle Paul, who is in prison, he is old, he's about to be killed for his faith. He writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now you, Timothy, continue the race. You, Timothy, continue the race. Our founding pastor knew he finished that leg of the race and he handed the baton on to me and he went on to run a whole other race in in Texas. I don't know why anybody moved to Texas. All you people online that moved to Texas. I've been there. I don't know what you did. But apparently it's cool out there. Um, But I've got this baton and this is going to be handed off to someone. I'm going to have to, you know, re-inscribe something else down here. But this baton is going to someone else when the time is right. Board of Elders... Not soon, I hope. We good? But that whole mindset of passing on next generation, next generation, we have to do that in our homes. We have to do that in the business world. If we're not doing the same kind of process in the business world, our businesses will die. Next generation, influence, seat at the table, pass them the keys. 
Churches that don't do this die. They die. Tom Rainier has done a lot of work on why churches die. Um, why dying churches die. And he came, comes up with uh, five common threads. He says, first of all, and you can translate, if you're in the, the business world, translate this to your business. First, they refuse to admit they're sick. Dying churches, dying institutions refuse to admit they're sick. What they do is they know they're kind of in trouble, sales are down, attendance is down, and what they do is they say, well, yeah, but, but we do so many things good, and they start patting each other on the back at how many good things they're doing. And they're doing great things. I happen to consult a lot of churches that are dying, um, you know, part of our denomination's leadership team, and there's a thousand churches, and we get called into some trouble spots, and, and you meet with these people, and all they will do is talk about how many great things they have going on. We're such a welcoming church. We're such a friendly church. We take care of each other. We visit each other in the hospital. We give each other meals and all of it. We pray for each other fervently, and it's like, that is fantastic. I mean, truly, truly fantastic. But you're doing the same things you've done for 40 years. And you're loving each other. I mean, truly, this is not, no, no humor in this at all. This is deadly serious. You are loving each other into the arms of Jesus, and it is a beautiful thing. It's magical. And maybe you shouldn't change that, but what's going to happen is at some point, this church closes, and we're going to give it to the next generation. And that's a beautiful thing as well. It's a very rare thing when, when a church can say, you know what, we're both going to take care of the, the older generation that sometimes likes their tradition and wants their tradition. And for some of them, they need their tradition. That's why we have a tradition service at Rancho. It's at eight o'clock. If you want to stop by every once in a while, it's great. It tends to be a little older, older music. Our young band is leading great. The older congregation, just caring for them because that's their soul language. That's their music language and worship language. So we care for them. But do you know who steps up to send our kids to camp every year? Who do you think steps up to send our kids to camp every year? It's that tradition service. We announce kids camps. We announce kids going to Mexico and they need some resourcing. They need some supplies. By the time we're done transitioning the 830 service to the 930 service, they basically have it covered. Because even though they like their traditions experience, they know why they're here. It's the next generation, next generation. So it's not just about you know, denying or refusing to know that, 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 that they're sick by, by you know, talking about all the good things that they're doing. But dying churches have got to realize if we don't, pass on things intentionally to the next generation and provide opportunities for them to feel welcome, to influence the place and lead the place, that church will die. Secondly, they blame culture. They blame culture. Churches that are dying will say, oh, you know, back in my day, people used to go to church on Sunday morning and now they don't anymore. Well, some do, they just don't go to yours. And there's a reason why, right? They blame culture. Church isn't the same. Or they blame the, the demographics. And I'm going to be kind of half funny, half seriously. But, but we used to be a, this used to be a white community. Now it's not a white community. It's like, well, can you be a more Hispanic community? Can you be a more black community? Can you welcome? Can you hire differently? Can you put... <laughs> the community around us has changed. They blame culture. That church is not willing to change. Dying churches are not willing to change at all. When things get really serious in a church and I'm with the board, uh, I will say, and this is kind of mean, I will say, you're selling typewriters. Well, what do you mean we're selling typewriters? You're selling typewriters. What if you opened a typewriter shop in, in Old Town? You know, well, I wouldn't go very well. 
But what you're doing is selling typewriters. This is, you're using 1960s language and 1960s Bibles and 1960s values and priorities. And, and that's what you're loading, 1960s. You're selling typewriters. It, the, the world has moved on. Now, let me be clear. The core message of Jesus never, ever, ever changes. And so the core message of Jesus in the New Testament worked at, at, when, in a Jewish community trying to obey the Old Testament Jewish law, yet they worshiped Jesus. That can work. Then you flip to the Roman, the Greek culture, and they're not following the Old Testament law, and that's fine. They worship Jesus. That's the New Testament. Just caused a lot of people to panic. Jesus always works in every culture. But you've got to know when a culture changes how to, how to be the presence of Jesus, how to uh, know the message of Jesus, how to apply the mission of Jesus in any given culture. If there's no willing to change, you become culturally irrelevant, and then all you are is a history squawk box because you haven't embraced the next generation. I love Isaiah 43. Here's, here's the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel is struggling. They're about to be destroyed. I mean, this is tough stuff. Enemies are at their gates, and they're lamenting this. They are about to be destroyed. Their culture is about to be destroyed. And so what do they do? Totally understandable. They have fond memories of the past. Fond memories of the past. Remember when we escaped Egypt from slavery and we, we uh, you know, took the land of Canaan and settled this land of Israel? Remember when we did that? Remember when we had a, a king? And remember when we had power? Remember when we had prosperity and money? Remember those days? We're about to lose all that. Here's what God says. Through the prophet's mouth, forget all that. Forget the past. It's an important part of the story. Tell the story, but don't live in the past. That is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Don't you love that? The word of the prophet here is is saying, yes, things are difficult. Yes, the past might have been glorious in, in the old time, but that time is no longer relevant. That was a good part of the story. Tell it but move on and embrace something new. Embrace something new. Churches that are about to die, their solutions are are all inward focused. Well, if we just did another potluck every week, then if we just had, you know, uh, better music for us, if we just, I mean, it's inward focused, it's me focused, then maybe we'll grow again. It's like, The whole culture sometimes has to change, where the solutions are not just little programmatic things. It's about the soul. Are we dedicated to the next generation? Are we dedicated to living forever young? Are we dedicated to living with that youthful energy and youthful vision and optimism? Are we we ready to be embracing and inclusive of differences and, and diversity? Are we ready to talk boldly about mercy, justice, and love without panicking, right? That's what it means to be forever young not inward-focused, others-focused. And then these dying churches desire to return to 19-blankety-blank. Fill in the date. So I want to ask you, you know, when was your sweet spot in church? And if you're a church-goer kind of in your life, when was the sweet spot of church for you? And what was that date? Just pick a date. For some of you, it's going to be 19-blankety-blank. Some of you might be 20-blankety-blank. Some of you are saying, hey, right now, today feels pretty good. All right, it's awesome. For me, it's 1987. 1987. 
that was the sweet spot for me. A senior in high school, that totally ages me. Senior in high school, everything was firing right. You know, just a good time. A lot of my just memories of youth were 1987, and a lot of it had to do with Rancho Church on that old campus. And so that was absolutely my deal. If I had my way, I'd load 1987 every single year, right? It was awesome. It was awesome for me at that time. Life's moved on. Culture's moved on. The message is the same. Jesus is the same. The gospel is the same. The mission is the same. But there's so many new ideas and new contexts that are coming from the youth. But here's what the youth are saying right now. Two-thirds of young people are leaving the church right now, and there are five reasons why. The church tends to be negative, exclusionary, judgmental, unthinking, and political. Our youth are so done with that, they don't want anything to do with this. If any church smacks of this stuff, they're doomed, just doomed. Young people today, despite the fact that their lives are defined by 9-11, the Great Recession, and COVID, they have their challenges. They're ready to change the world. They have a vision for changing the world. Just kind of track with me here. As you're having conversations in your family life, in your work life, in your neighborhood life, maybe in your church life, if you're hanging around older people, check their conversation is probably going to include some complaining. That's older people tend to be complaining, right? Not everybody. Even older people can be forever young. Some of you older people in here are the youngest people I know, right? I've said that every single week. Just because we're old doesn't mean we have to get complaining, but a lot of older people tend to be complaining. It's understandable, right? Everything hurts. (laughs) You know way too much about the world. You hang around younger people, They've got their issues, for sure. But they talk about their future. They talk about where they're gonna go to school, what job they envision. But here's what young people do the best right here and right now, and Megan and I talked about it. They do have a vision of inclusion. They don't huddle in pockets of sameness, usually. They're very comfortable with diversity, and they're very comfortable advocating for each other. We, at uh, Rancho Christian, we got a, a great student leadership team, and the leadership team noticed that we have one policy at Rancho Christian School that sounded outdated, and they were taking it very seriously. The way it was phrased, they took it very seriously. So they summoned me to their office. It was awesome. We have to talk. (laughs) They summoned me to their office and said, hey, here's the policy, here's this phrase. We don't really think this belongs. And I read it, and I said, you're absolutely right. That's a leftover from Days passed, we will change it right now. Got the crew together, changed the policy, republished it, just like that. They took the lead, we followed. That's an amazing journey. It's an amazing journey. And that's a journey that our young people will sign up for. Do they have all the answers? No, but we don't either. We might have a little more experience, but that means we might be a little more jaded and a little more cynical. So for us, people who are are good at adulting, we've got to get our energy back. We've got to get our optimism back. We've got to get our vision back. We've got to pl- you know, play with kids as much as you possibly can. Play with your neighborhood kids. Volunteer here every once in a while with children's or, or youth. Play with your kids and play with your grandkids. Let's get a little less adulting going on, a little more childrening going on, a little more youthing going on. Let's get our proximity with the next generation closer and let's learn from each other and let's grow together and let's do something wonderful. What it means for a church to stay forever young 
is we stay focused on children's and youth. We stay others-centered, not just worried about us as we get older and protecting ourselves as we get older. Stay humble and teachable, which is very difficult for us oldies. Stay energetic. Even though every joint in your body might be sore, stay energetic, get yourself up, get yourself out. Stay positive and optimistic about the future. If, if we can't do this, young generations will have nothing to do with us. And this is about our home. This is about our businesses. This is about our, our, our neighborhoods. This is about our churches. We've got to open every opportunity for the next generation to lead. And I'll close with this. The next generation also has some responsibilities as well. Because I only read half of our key verse today. Here's how it goes to the end. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. That's the responsibility of, of young leaders because adults shouldn't just hand the keys off to any kid because they're a kid. There are a lot, however, a lot of incredible young talents right in our midst, right in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our churches. They're right here. We've got a bunch of them here. And a lot of these kids understand that they also have a responsibility. It is our responsibility to stay forever young. It's our responsibility to make sure they are heard, to make sure they have a seat at the table and make sure they have the keys. That's our responsibility. Their responsibility is to also walk a journey of leadership where they are setting an example for others in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. That's their responsibility. Without the pressure to be perfect, no one's perfect, but with a vision to become a little more like Jesus every day. And that should be our vision as well, just a little more like Jesus every day. And us adults might be a little further along the journey, but becoming a little more like Jesus. There's a great crop of young leaders coming up. They're not as far along as we are, but they've got energy and they've got vision and they've got the mission of Jesus. They want to change this world. They have not given up on the world. They have not left it for dead. They wanna see a just world. They wanna see the poor taken care of. They wanna see the marginalized included. They wanna see anywhere there's injustice, they wanna see it solved. They wanna see equity, and I know we're causing a lot of panic now with people. This is what the young people wanna see. And a lot of it aligns perfectly with the vision of Jesus. We have to get out of their way. We've got to get out of their way. Final verse, Joel chapter two. Again, the nation of Israel is facing extinction. And here's what's said. Gather all the people. Now, the Babylonians are at their door. They're about to wipe out Judah. They're about to wipe out Jerusalem. They're facing the end of time. This is their perspective, Joel two. They're facing the end of time. Here's what God says, gather all the people, the elderly, the children, even the babies, gather them all, including the youngest among us. Don't be afraid, my people. Be happy now and full of joy, for the Lord has done great things. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will speak truth boldly. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit to everyone equally, to rich and poor and men and women alike. Don't you love that vision? God says there is coming a day where everyone will be equal. 
I will pour out my spirit to everyone, rich, poor, men, women, Jews, Gentiles. Who's going to do it? Young sons and daughters speaking the truth boldly, old men and women dreaming dreams and seeing visions, working together, young and old, understanding that God is doing a new work, understanding that God is rebuilding this planet to look like heaven, understanding that God is installing grace and kindness and mercy and justice in this world through us, young and old together, dreaming dreams and seeing visions together. Rancho's got a great history of doing that, and we're only going to put fuel to that as we stay forever young. 